Um, but we're glad you are with us today. I'd love to meet you after service. Christy made all the announcements, a lot of stuff going on at church. This is kind of like the start of the church season, fall, everyone's back to school, the parents are happy about that, um, the kids maybe not so much. But then churches, we just get lots of activities going, we've got moms groups, different Bible studies. So if you are new and you would love to get more connected to the church, we would love to have you do that. There's lots of ways for your kids or your teenagers or you, moms and dads, uh, different Bible studies, different groups, I'm encouraging you to get connected. And if I can help you or any of us can help you get connected, we would love to do that. All right, through the summer, we have been looking through the book of Acts, the book of Acts in the New Testament. This is part 12, probably the final part, the final chapter of Acts. Uh, we'll actually be in the last section of Acts. Um, and then uh, we're going to be looking at that today as we wrap up this series, the book of Acts. Now, if you are just joining us, you're kind of coming in at the end of the story. So a really quick recap of the book of Acts, if you've never read it or are not familiar with it. Um, the book of Acts was written by the... Uh, disciple, not the disciple, the guy Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, that's what I'm trying to say, he also wrote the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is the continuation of the story. After the life, teachings of Jesus Christ, after he died and rose again and ascended to heaven, those all happened in the Gospels. Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission and said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to go throughout the world and be my witnesses. This gospel message is going to spread around the world. And the book of Acts is the story of how the gospel spreads from those early disciples, that group of 11 disciples that were with Jesus, now spread around the world and it continues to spread around the world today. The book of Acts is really how the church got started. And you see throughout the book of Acts, and we've talked about several themes that you see. And the biggest one is this, the gospel continues to spread, and the gospel is for everyone. There are no outsiders. There are no religious insiders and those who are on the outside with Jesus Christ. The gospel is for all people. It continues to spread around the world, the message of Jesus Christ, crucified for our sins. That's what we are singing about today. That's what we're worshiping him for today, and risen. He is crucified and risen for us. We were introduced to Saul, who was persecuting the church, and as this church grows, we see persecution break out. People don't like this new movement, this new Jesus movement, and Saul is the leader of this. He is having Christians arrested and executed, but then he gets miraculously saved, and he gets known as Paul, the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, for much of the book of Acts, the story is about the Apostle Paul traveling around the world starting churches, introducing people to this message of hope and life and salvation through Jesus Christ. And so where we pick up in Acts today, we're going to start briefly in Acts chapter 20, and then we're going to kind of go through the end of the book. And we're not going to look in detail at all eight chapters here through the end of Acts, because that would be a long sermon. But we're going to start in Acts chapter 20, and this really is the beginning of the final section of the book of Acts, the final part, where Paul is now being arrested. He is being dragged in front of different rulers and authorities. There are people that don't like his message, and so everywhere he goes, he's getting arrested. And so the rest of the book of Acts, starting in, in chapter 20, is him kind of getting dragged in front of all these different rulers, all these different trials, all these different authorities. And none of these groups can figure out what to do with Paul. Because they bring him in front of like the religious leaders or the political leaders or whoever, and they all say, okay, he's preaching about Jesus, but what has he done wrong? Like, we can't arrest him for that. And so the, the, relig the Jewish insiders who are upset at Paul, they're like, well, we'll find someone else who will do what we want. And so they drag him to somebody else, and they say, well, we're not sure what we're supposed to do. And every time Paul gets arrested and questioned and often beaten for his faith, 
They drag him to another place, and this happens again. This is what we see throughout the rest of Acts, starting in 20. So we're going to pick that up in Acts chapter 20, and I want to read a couple verses from Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 22. And I read these here before we jump ahead, because this really sets the tone for what we're going to talk about today. This really sets the tone for everything Paul experiences from here to the end of the book of Acts. It really sets the tone for who he is as a follower of Jesus. So I'm going to read these words, Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 22, and the words will be up on the screen. If you want to follow along in a Bible, there should be some black hardcover Bibles in the pews that you are sitting on. But Acts chapter 20, verse 22 says this. This is Paul talking. He knows what's coming up ahead, and he says this, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He knows what's coming. But then in verse 24, he says this, and I love these words. I want you to get these words today. However, in spite of all these things, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. What a great testimony of faith that Paul is saying there, right? He knows what's coming. He can see what's happening around, and the persecution, the opposition is building. He knows even the Holy Spirit has come to him and said, you're to go to Jerusalem, and what awaits you there is not happy fun times. It is hardship. It is trial. It is persecution. He knows how this story is ultimately going to end, but he says in a great testimony of faith, but I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race that Jesus has called me to complete the task for which God has called me, to testify to God's salvation. I am here for him. Paul's life is surrendered completely to Jesus. Paul is living a surrendered life in every way. And as we begin today in this sermon, I hope and prayer for each of us, for all of us, is that we would have that same outlook as Paul, that we would make that switch in our heart, that we'd make that switch in our life from living all about us and what makes us happy and what we prefer to now laying that down and saying, that doesn't matter to me anymore. I want to live only for the race that Jesus has called me to run, only for the tasks that he has called me to complete, and that is to live for him and express his salvation and his love for others. This is what I want us to grow in, to surrender our lives to Jesus, right? We want to live for him. And this is what we see in Paul. And you see this throughout the rest of the book of Acts. If you were to read through the rest of these chapters, see, he goes to Jerusalem. He's arrested. He speaks to the leaders. And then they plot to kill him. And then he's dragged before the Sanhedrin. Eventually, they find out that Paul is a Roman citizen. I'm not sure how they didn't know that until now, but they find that out. And they say, okay, well, this problem isn't ours anymore. We're going to send him to Rome. And the political leaders, the rulers in Rome, they're certainly going to know what to do with him. And so that's where we see Paul headed. As we, move, as we jump ahead, we're going to look at Acts chapter 27. That's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. This is in Acts chapter 27 where Paul is about to get on a boat. He's a, they're about to put him on a ship with all sorts of other prisoners, and they are setting sail to Rome. And this is where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 27. I'm going to start in verse 13. So they're just about to set sail on this ship with all the prisoners, including Paul, on it. And it says this in verse 13. 
When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Everything's going well so far. But before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a nor'easter swept down. From, apparently, there were some meteorologists on the boat there, because they or Luke had studied that. A hurricane force called the nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so they gave way to it and were driven along. So the storm comes in, the winds blow, and basically the ship is at the mercy of the wind, so it's blowing them off course. Verse 16, as we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda or Quada, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard, and then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid, they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, and they lowered the sea anchor. They let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved." At this point, all hope is lost. This storm has been, ba- has been raging for days and days. And that you, you see the imagery. I mean, it's a, it's a literal thing that Luke is saying here. We couldn't see the sun and the stars for days because the storm was raging that long and that severe. But it really defines what was going on in their heart. The light was lost. We were in the midst of a storm, and all hope was lost. Continue on verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul, who's a prisoner on this boat, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to set sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. And Paul goes on to explain this. Last night, an angel of the God who I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Okay, so we're going to stop there for a minute. So I love that in the midst of the storm, Paul starts out with a, I told you so, which is everybody's favorite guy, right? I told you we shouldn't have sailed here. But he goes on to say, I know you've given up hope, but take courage because the God whom I worship came to me and said that we're going to make it, not just me, but we're all going to make it to Rome. None of us are going to be lost. And I have faith in God that his promises will be true, that they will come to pass. But then he ends it. I'm sure, the, I'm sure the guys are like, great, this sounds like good news. But then he ends it kind of with the downer. But unfortunately, we are going to be shipwrecked on some island. He doesn't know where. Unfortunately, that's going to happen. But this is, why, this is how Paul is communicating to these guys on boat. We will be shipwrecked, but God is faithful. God is good. His promises will come to pass, but we will be shipwrecked. And I love that he has the presence of both of those things in there. So follow me for a second. In our walk of faith, we tend to think either of those things can be true, but only one at a time. If we are in a storm, if we are shipwrecked, then God has not been faithful. If God is faithful to his promises, then we will not be shipwrecked. But Paul says both of these things are true. Both of these realities are present. God is good, and God is faithful, and we're going to be shipwrecked, and we're going to go through a storm. 
And you see that Paul's life is surrendered here. Those verses I read at the start of the sermon. I consider my life worth nothing. I'm just here to honor God, but I trust him. I have faith in him. You see Paul's life who surrendered to God recognizes that even in the midst of the storm and the shipwreck that God is good and faithful and he can be trusted. And that's a message for some of you today. I know there are people here that are just facing storms. You are in the midst of, you're like those crewmen on the boat. You're tying ropes around the bottom of the boat, just trying to hold your life together. You haven't seen the sun in what seems like weeks or months. And I'm here to tell you that that reality, as overwhelming as it can be, is never anything that overpowers the faithfulness of our God. Amen? It's never something that trumps the power of God, overpowers God. It never derails God. Like a, like a storm that comes in and blows a ship off course, it's not doing that to God's plans. It's not doing that to God's love and His faithfulness. And I just want to encourage you with that today because this is how our faith impacts our life in a very real way in a very practical way. We can come into church sometimes, and I think it's maybe more of like a metaphorical thing. Oh, we know that God is good, and we're singing these songs, but sometimes we don't make that connection to, no, this is impacting my life in a very real way. This is impacting my life in a very practical way. A lot of Christians talk about a trust and a faith in God, and yet they walk through life so nervous and so fearful. A surrendered heart that we see in Paul always leads us to a greater trust in God, and this is a very practical trust in God, a very practical, everyday, peace-infusing trust in God that when we're walking through a a storm or a shipwreck, we can still say, I know God is good. I know his promises are still true. I know that I can have peace in the midst of this, even though the storm is raging around me. And you might be like those people who have lost all hope on that boat, convinced you're going down. You're cutting loose the lifeboats and pulling up the anchors, and you feel like your life is just at the mercy of the winds and the storm. But God's promises are true. God's promises to be with you, to love you, to be faithful, to provide for you are true. They do not get steered aside by the storm. They are true. And you need the truth of God to invade your storm. You need the truth of God like Paul that day standing up saying, men, take courage. Take courage. You need the voice of God or the voice of the promises of God to come in and say, take courage. In the midst of this, when it feels like your world is falling apart, take courage. God's promises are here. We are going to make it. He will be with us through this. God's promises will come to pass. And those promises are that He will never leave you, that He loves you, that He is working for your good. In the midst of your storm, you can say, I don't understand how, but God, I believe that your promise is true, that you are working for my good in this, that you are never forsaking me and leaving me. All of these promises ring true in spite of a storm. And this is what we learn from Acts. This is what we learn from the story of Paul at the end of the book of Acts here. Recently, um, I found myself, and I think it's just out of like bad habits in my thought process, but I found myself getting down or anxious or just a little bit more discouraged more easily. And uh, it's nothing serious. There's nothing serious going on. But I found myself, you know, just having to work on this again, disciplining my thought life where something minor will come along and, you know, the unexpected bill or something, you know, other things where it's just, you ever, ever been in a situation where it just feels like all these little things like, oh, I just feel weighed down all the time. And so what I'm doing, just me personally, is I am rethinking how I think about these things. And instead of feeling anxious about little things, I'm going to declare the promises of God. 
Instead of being fearful or worried or feeling discouraged, I'm going I'm to declare that God's promises are true, and I'm going to be thankful for what I have, and I'm going to retrain my mind to focus. The Bible says, fix your eyes on what is pure and holy and, and trustworthy and all these things. I am doing that. I am fixing my eyes on Him, saying, God, I, in spite of all these little things, I'm going to give thanks for what I have. In spite of the tendency to be anxious and fearful, I am going to declare that your promises for me are true. I'm going to declare that you are trustworthy and loving and faithful. So where I was discouraged, I'm now offering thanks. Where I was anxious, I'm expressing my trust in an extremely capable God. So I want to encourage you in a storm, declare the promises of God. Declare the truths of God's Word. Declare the truths of His faithfulness and His love. Christy was talking about our summer scripture challenge, and I know the response to that has been mixed at best. <laughs> you know, we think, oh, I don't have time to memorize scripture, but why do we want to do that? It's not just so that we can be annoying to you and saying we're going to memorize scripture. It's because I want all of us to be able to have the Word of God in our lives to have the truths of God, the promises of God in our minds so that we can bring those up. When, it, when we're facing discouragement, we can say, I know the plans that you have for me, plans to prosper me and not to harm me. You know, when we were reading through uh, a couple summers ago, we memorized Psalm 34. Um, the reason we do that is because that psalm is so full of the promises of God. I wrote a few of them down because I might have forgotten what I memorized a couple of years ago. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. You remember those words? In my desperation I prayed and the Lord listened. And he delivered me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. These are words and promises in Scripture. This is why I want us to memorize these things so that when we walk through something and the winds are blowing and it feels like our life is falling apart, we can say with full confidence, I know that the promises of God are true and we can start to speak those out because we have them memorized. We have them committed to memory and we can just start reciting the promises of the Scripture, right? I want us to be able to do that. So when we, again, ask you to memorize Scripture, I want you to get the Word of God into your heart so that it's not a situation where, oh, man, I could sure use a promise of God right now. You're walking through and your world has fallen apart or you get bad news from something and you're like, boy, I sure wish I knew a promise of God. Now, let me, Siri, uh, Siri, give me a promise of God right now. You know, something you know, at your disposal. We rely on our, you know, internets and cell phones and all those things. I want the Word of God to be something that we are self-sufficient in, where we have it committed to our mind, where we say, I have the truths of God's Scripture in my heart and in my mind. That is why we are memorizing Scripture. Boom! Lonnie, thank you. We declare the promises of God in our storms. Eventually, the crew who had been fighting against the storm, they cut the anchor, and the ship, as Paul said, we're going to be shipwrecked. The ship runs ashore on the island of Malta. And uh, with the crew and the prisoners, they're all stranded on this island. They're not even sure where they are. Imagine you're in a boat, and the wind is blowing. You haven't seen the sun or the stars, so you can't, not only are you trying to stay alive, you can't navigate. You have no idea where you are. And all of a sudden, you hit ground on this island. You have no idea where it is. But they are stranded on this island, the island of Malta. And then something really cool happens in Acts chapter 28. And this is when they're stranded on this island. This is the final chapter of Acts. We're getting close to the end of the story here. Acts 28, verse 7, it says this. This is what happened on this island. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. 
And he welcomed us into his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. So this happens in the middle of this last chapter of Acts, in the midst of all this story, this greater story, shipwreck, and Paul is about to go and face trial in Rome. There's this little moment where they're stranded on this island. This little moment where you could read that, reading through the book of Acts, and totally overlook it. But imagine, it's not a little moment to those people on that island who had all these sick people who had never heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, Paul and everyone he was with on that boat have been blown off course, shipwrecked on this island, and Paul is there recognizing, okay, my life is surrendered to God. How can I minister? And he finds people who are sick, prays, and this leader's father who had been sick is healed. And then all of a sudden it says, everyone else who had sick people on the island brought them to Paul, and he prayed for them, and they were all healed. What a great moment. I love that moment that we can look at Paul encountering a storm, and instead of him saying, great, what now? What else can go wrong, Lord? I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to lay my life down for you, and all these bad things are happening. I'm not doing anything until you start, you know, doing the things that I want you to do, Lord. No, his outlook is this. Obviously, I'm here for a reason. How can I minister to somebody? How can I express love and kindness? How can I bring the light of Jesus Christ wherever I am? Paul recognizes that sometimes the storms that blow us off course have a higher purpose where God has something for us to do. Sometimes that storm is part of the race that God has called us to run where we can say, I am going to minister here. I'm going to lay my life down here. It is so easy for us, me included, to get very me-focused, especially when we are facing trials, hardships. But a surrendered heart recognizes that God is in this, and therefore God has a purpose for this. So how can I minister to someone? How can I bring glory to God through this? Now, this could be something as simple as just showing kindness when you are inconvenienced, okay? Maybe it's showing kindness to someone, a server at a restaurant who's having a hard time where our tendency is to think, hey, what about me? You're supposed to be taking care of me. Maybe it's like, you know, for me, my kryptonite is someone with more than 12 items in the express line at the grocery store, right? Well, instead of me thinking, well, they shouldn't be doing that, it's, no, how can I be kind and loving when someone is stopped at the roundabout when they should just be going in and going through, right? How can I be kind and loving. It's so easy for us to start thinking me-focused. I don't deserve this. I deserve better. I should be treated better. Where what we see from Paul, what we see throughout Scripture is, my life doesn't matter to me. All that I care about is running the race in a way that will honor God. We got back a couple weeks ago from our missions trip to Panama. We had a team of about 20 of us there. And uh, it was a missions trip, and we know that there's always different you know, roadblocks that come our way with a mission strip. There's always some difficulties in traveling with a group. Well, we were flying from, we had to stop over in Atlanta, and we were flying from Atlanta to Panama on the way down there, and we were getting ready. Our team was on there, and um, a few of us got put in the back row of the plane, which is not my favorite, but I was right in the back row because you're right by the bathrooms, and you always have people standing right there waiting to get into the bathroom, and they're kind of scooting by each other. So you always constantly just have someone's, like, butt right in your face, you know, if you sit there. Well, we are just taxiing out. We're getting pulled out from the, from the gate at Atlanta, 
And uh, we were just about to take off when all of a sudden somebody comes running down the aisle of the plane, you know, holding his hand over his mouth, like running for the bathroom and instantly think that's no good. And, uh, and so he didn't quite make it to the bathroom on this plane and almost like a hose that was building up pressure, kind of just started, you know, sorry if this is gross. I should have maybe warned you before I started telling the story. You know, he threw up and it kind of went everywhere, some in the bathroom and then some on one of our team members, Laura, who was sitting across the aisle from me. And Laura wasn't really seeing what was happening. She just felt something hit her arm and was like, what was that? And I'm like, uh, you don't want to know what that was. Anyways, that set off a chain reaction where all of a sudden the flight had to be delayed. We had to wait to find another gate to go in because they needed a cleaning crew to come on because they couldn't clean the mess up. I mean, it was a substantial mess. And I don't know why airlines can't have the air conditioning on the plane when you're on the ground, but it's super hot, super muggy, really stinky, and just kind of gross. And in that moment, I love that our team was having a good attitude about it. Because in that moment, you could easily give in to the temptation to be like, oh, what else? You know, here I am, Lord, trying to go on a missions trip. Now I feel like Paul on that boat, you know, kind of thing, thinking only about me. It would be really easy to do that. Sometimes this mentality that Paul had on that island is just simply offering kindness. There was a moment where near the end of the flight, because it happened again later on, they got this one guy. I mean, it was a disaster of a flight from start to finish. And near the end, I saw the crew back there, which was right by me because I was in the back row, but I saw the crew just kind of like looking bewildered. And so I kind of looked around, and in that moment, I just said, you know what, it's, it's not hard for me to at least show some kindness. So I said, hey, you guys are doing a great job. It's a tough day at the office, huh? And they just looked at me like, oh, man, I'm ready for this flight to be over. And I said, me too. <laughs> me too, friends. Me too. But there is something just so simple about being able to show kindness. And we can do that wherever we are. We can do that wherever we are. Show kindness. This is a way that you can say, my life is not about me and how I'm being served. My life is about running the race that will bring honor to God. How can you be exalted in this? And it might be something small and insignificant like a flight that gets delayed or any other minor inconvenience that we face. Or it might be something big that you're going through. And I know there are people in the room here that are going through big storms right now. But my prayer for all of us is this, that our outlook would be, God, how can you be honored? How can I run the race even when my race that you've called me to run involves this storm? Even when the direction that you have led me down or even the direction that the storms of life have blown me off course and now I find myself over here when I thought my life was going to be going this way, even when I find myself here and everything feels like it's falling apart, if this is the race you have for me to run, how can I run it in a way that will honor you? This is what faith is. This is how faith impacts our life. A surrendered life like Paul had, always thinks that. How can I honor you in this? How can I serve and minister to others in this? And clearly we see this shipwreck that Paul encountered served a bigger purpose. All those people were healed. All those people heard about Jesus. The storms you go through have a bigger purpose. They have a bigger purpose. God may have allowed the wind to blow you off course so that you can bring the love of Jesus to somebody that you would not have encountered otherwise, right? This is a surrendered life. God, if you change my course, if you direct me over here instead, I will be faithful to run and to honor you no matter what. So eventually Paul and the crew, they make it to Rome. 
They get off that island, they get put on another boat, and they make it to Rome where Paul is put in house arrest. He's basically put in prison. He was put in prison a couple of different times. Some of them were really dark, like really, you know, like the worst of the worst prisons. This time he was put on house arrest where he's basically in a small room under Roman guard. He can't ever leave, but he's there. He's under house arrest. And this is how the book of Acts ends with Paul under house arrest. I'm going to read the final two verses in the book of Acts. Acts 28, starting in verse 30. This is how the story ends. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and talked about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's it. That's the end of the story. Acts doesn't go on to tell us how the story of Paul ends. Acts doesn't go on to tell us what happens to him. He's imprisoned. Other historical writers have written about the Apostle Paul, and we know from their writings that Paul was eventually executed under Emperor Nero in Rome. This happened a few years after this, was, this story took place. But Acts doesn't go into any of that, and I kind of like that. I kind of like how Acts ends just kind of open-ended like that. Paul continued to preach with all boldness with great boldness, without hindrance. I love that it kind of ends, that open-ended, the gospel continued to move forward because we are the continuation of the book of Acts. We are part of that now. We're part of that story. The gospel continues to move forward in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in in the community of Farmington, in our neighborhoods. The gospel continues to move forward, and we preach it with great boldness and without hindrance. And I love that it's not really about the story of Paul because Paul would be the first one if he were here to say, hey, this story isn't about me. This story isn't about the story of Paul. This is the story of the book of Acts, this gospel that continues to move forward. Paul would be the first one to say, hey, I'm living a surrendered life. It's not about me. I'm just a very small part in the bigger story of God's love and salvation through Jesus Christ. So as we look at this idea of Paul's surrendered life, living a surrendered life that knows that it's not about me, it's about Jesus being magnified. I want us to get that heart. I want us to get that in us, right? Do you want that? Do you want to live your life like that, recognizing it's not about me? Jesus, I want to honor you wherever the race you have me leads me. We know that while Paul was in prison, or maybe you don't know this, but we, he wrote several letters while he was in prison, even during those years that he was imprisoned in Rome. Several of those letters that we have in our Scripture, the New Testament, the epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, all those books, those are letters that Paul wrote while in prison. We have them in our New Testament. And there's a letter that he wrote to Timothy, his young protege. There's First and Second Timothy in the New Testament. And 2 Timothy, the second letter that he wrote to Timothy, was probably the final thing that Paul wrote before he was executed, while he was imprisoned, while he knew his life was coming to an end. He wrote this letter to Timothy, and I wanted to wrap up this morning and wrap up this series by reading a few words from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. They're going to be on the screen. Now, I want you to get his heart, because he talked about in the beginning of the sermon when I talked about his words, it was, my only aim is to run the race that God has for me. Well, this is what he writes years later to Timothy as he is facing his death. He knows death is coming. He has been imprisoned. He knows he is at the end, and it says this. He writes this in 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 7. He says this, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. This is Paul saying, I'm I am spending my life for him. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. The time for my death is near. And then these words, which are my favorite in Scripture, I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I love that, that he's still focusing on the race. Years before, when he wrote what we read in Acts chapter 20, he says, my only aim, it's not about me, it's that I would run the race that God has for me. And now, years later, at the end of his life, he is saying this, and he knows in his heart, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And if Paul were here today, he would be the first one to say, it's worth it. It's worth it. Live a surrendered life. Live a surrendered life where your heart is for what God wants and not what you want. No matter what comes your way, no matter how you are persecuted or caught in a storm or shipwrecked, look at the race that God has for you and run it with all diligence. Look at the race that God has for you and run it as a faithful servant. Lay down your life. Live a surrendered life. It is worth it. And I think we all have that choice where we could get the end of our life and we could look back and we can say, I did kind of what I wanted. I made my own path. I charted my own course and I was successful. And many people do that. But I want us to look back at the end of our life and say, you know what? I laid down what I want and I picked up the race that God had for me. And look at what God did. Look at how God was faithful. Look at how God provided. Even when I was shipwrecked, even when I was in the midst of the storm, look at what God did. Look at the lives that were touched because of what God did through me. I want to get to the end of my life and look back and see all the ways that God had used me to bring His love to people. I want to be able to stand before God someday and have Him say, well done. You finished the race. You finished the race. You didn't just chart your own course for what you wanted, but you considered what you wanted less important and what God wanted most important, and now look at what God was able to do through you. That's what I want, and that's what I want for you, all of us. Finish the race. Finish the course. Run your race. Keep the faith. Have a surrendered life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your call on our lives. And, uh, and today, Lord, we just recommit to you that we want to run your race. Wherever you lead us, wherever life takes us, whatever storms are going to knock us off course, we want to look to you and say, we want to be faithful servants in this, through this difficult time. We want to find ways to minister, find ways to bring glory and honor to you because we consider our lives nothing compared to the race that you have for us the call that you have on our lives for what you want to do in us and through us so that we could walk every day knowing that you are with us, that the promises of God ring true in our lives. You are working for our good, that even when we don't understand where you're leading us, you know where we're going. You are faithful to provide what we need. You go before us. And you are so faithful and loving. And we know these things. We know these things are true. So, Lord, we surrender our hearts to you. We declare that we want to follow your way. We want to run your race and your call for our lives. So do that work in our hearts. We commit to you. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.